The following program is a paid presentation. The views and or opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of KWAM. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And good morning. If you're looking for advice on topics like purchasing a home or investing in your 401k, maybe you're thinking about buying the right insurance or the correct amount of insurance, or if you're like a lot of us, we're just looking for tips on how to jumpstart on your savings. Well, what we found out, whether you're a baby boomer or millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern in every family's home is always about money. In fact, we found out a lot of people argue about money. Now, that's not good, but that's really, really what happens. This program is designed for you. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and I want to just welcome you to this morning's edition of Talk Money. Well, guess what? We've got some people here today on the studios that are going to help us make some decisions when it comes to finding somebody that can give you and help you through some of the financial decisions that we make in our lifetime. And just whether you like it or not, finding the right person to seek wise counsel, they're really there to kind of help you have a conversation with your future self. I mean, think about it. You're making plans today, whether you're 25 or 55, that are going to affect you 10, 20, or 30 years from now. And making that financial decision is not always easy. So a financial professional comes in and helps you kind of look into the future. I have two people with me in the studios today, and we're going to talk about what they do and how they help when they talk about going through that process, just how they do and what you should be looking for if you're talking with someone that's a financial professional. I want to welcome two two great guys here today, David Rochester and Rob Clement. Welcome to the program. Good morning, Jim. Thank you. Hey, Jim. Good to see you. All right, guys. Now, let's start with this. I want to start with you, David. If you think about it, you know, they add value. I mean, we're talking about that financial professional. Now, I'm interested in what what you see when you're talking with people in your practice. We talk about adding value. Give me some things that you see are some of the main ideas. I know helping serving people is your, I know it's your heart. That's what you desire. So talk about that servant mentality. Well, Jim, I think first of all, it's got to start with conversation. And there needs to be transparency to that. So, you know, as, as, a, as a professional, I have to ask many times the hard questions that uh, clients have to think about that they're either not prepared to think about in advance or they haven't looked at it objectively. So conversation is where we have to start. And, you know, we try to, you know, prompt our uh, clients to come in, be prepared, so bring information with them. I think a lot of it's easy to come in with a balance sheet. They'll come in with a balance sheet and they're prepared to talk about that, but it has to go deeper than that. And let's find out, you know, what it is they're wanting to do in the future, their time frames. What are their concerns? What are their goals? What are their resources? And then we help them work through that process. You talk about hard decisions or hard questions. And, and, and I, when you're saying that, I get a, a, kind of an image in my mind of across the table or, you know, where you're talking with someone. When you say a hard question, and you whether it's about the balance sheet or what, what you're really saying is a lot of people sometimes don't ask these questions to themselves. That's correct. And they put it off, and now you're you're confronting them with that hard question. Right. Well, so let's just – I'll give you an example. Somebody's getting ready to retire. They're within a few years or maybe right on top of it, or maybe their employer has said, guess what? You may not be returning. Uh, very soon. So we're right. going to we're gonna buy you out or we're going to let you go or whatever the case may be. And all of a sudden, it's starkly in their face and they haven't thought about what's going to happen now. And so we have to ask them, what are your resources? So if you, if you retire today, how are you going to meet your expenses? Is it going to be Social Security? Do you have a pension? What are your plans in order to meet that? And getting them to think that through, not as just giving them the answers, but hel- helping them explore that for themselves. But you're really talking more than just money, too. I mean, you're Correct. talking about health questions. You're talking about, you know, their their hobbies. That's right. I mean, you're opening up the book. You know, that's a great point, and I know later we'll talk about, you know, elder care. But, you know, you take what we kind of call the sandwich generation today, those who are, may still be raising kids but have some responsibilities towards their parents. So we'll pose those kind of questions. Tell us about your family. What's your parents' health like? 
What about your siblings? What about your children? Tell us about what your plans are for them. All right, that makes that makes a lot of sense because you're asking questions that they probably think about, but usually it's not together. You know right. what I'm saying? So you're kind of I don't want to use the word forcing, but you're really kind of guiding them. So sure. you're really functioning as a guide. That's exactly right, and it can be uncomfortable. You know, uh, particularly those first few meetings, we're getting to know each other. So we're not going to step out there and all of a sudden just hit them right in the face with hard questions. We need to build some relationships sure. there. Makes and, sense. And then as we get to know them, build a comfort level of, you know, do we have permission to ask you hard questions that, you know, are, you're going to need to be transparent with? You need to be transparent. Rob, you do that same thing in your practice, too. Now, talk about what do you see is from some of these difficult or hard questions, whether it be, as, as David said, it's financial questions. It may be about elder care. We'll talk about that with you in a second, both of you. But I guess the reality is, what do you see as some of these questions that are just tough? I mean, they're just no way around it. Be honest. They're just tough questions. Well, I think what uh, David has said is so right on. And, and I would change one word from hard to heart because a big part of our responsibility is to get into a person's heart and to see what really makes them who they are, and as a family, who they are as a family. And so that means that we've got to ask those questions that David was talking about, and let's talk about what's on your heart and where you're going uh, in the future and how you're going to get there, and we're here to help you do that. So that is, you know, that's one of the key areas that I focus on is just getting people to begin to open up and let's find out what's on your heart and we have to be transparent and just say, uh, you know, this is not uncommon and that we are here to help you and not to harm you. That makes a lot of sense there. We talk about something called behavioral economics, David. And the, the, the thing that I remember so much about, that's kind of one of those words that seems to have surfaced since 2008. Prior to that, you didn't talk about that, but it's human behavior when you start dealing with that investment or retirement, as you said, or college education for the kids or whatever. It's just that finances of 10, 20, 30 years from now. What is behavioral economics? Well, Jim, it, it's all, I would almost call it counterintuitive. You know, our emotions want to lead us one way. And I'm talking about just every you know person wants to lead us one way. Behavioral economics is really training us how to not make emotional decisions but make fact-based decisions that are going to impact our future. That is, that is why I like that, uh, staying out of the emotional side, making fact-based decisions. Do you see your role as the guide when we talked about the guide? I mean, when you talk about that, you're, you're moving, and, and, and sometimes the guide has to say, no, you don't do that, you have to do this. I know I, I use a fly fishing guide and a lot when I go fishing, and, I, and then sometimes I— you know, uh, I, I miss a strike, and, you know, you, that's a fish. And he goes, you know, and he hips me on the head. He, he, he said, you pulled it too fast. You, do, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes the guide has to say, no, you don't do it that way. That's true, but, but that guide doesn't make the decision for you. You're still the one casting the fly. And so I think a similar example would be uh, like flying a plane. So taking off is hard when you think about flying a plane. But landing, it's a lot harder. So I think it's important. <laughs> Big mistake there. I think it's important that you have an experienced co-pilot to kind of guide you through that process until you're confident doing it on your own. And you may always have a co-pilot. You think about commercial airliners; they don't fly with just one pilot. You know, we talk about this. I so much appreciate that when you talk about the co-pilot or a guide. But there's so much the professional has to have a wide variety of, of experience and knowledge. Can you help me if I'm going to select someone and go through the process, what would you tell someone or kind of the top key ingredients of looking for someone? Sure. I, you know, I, I think there's several, but I'm going to, I'm just going to mention a few. I think one is you've got to, you know, you need to be upfront. And if your professional hasn't identified this, how are they going to get paid? You know, are they fee-based or are they commission-based? And so I think that's important. The second thing is, is you know, are there some some standards that they have to meet? Is it a is it a fiduciary standard? That's more of a, a word you hear more today than you used to in the past, or is it more of a suitability standard? And we can get into that. 
talk about that with me for a second. Now, you said commission-based or, or fee-based. Now, sure. it doesn't make one right or one wrong, but just knowing the, the, the client needs to ask the question. That's exactly right. And it, you're exactly right. It doesn't mean that it's wrong if somebody's paid a commission. There just needs to be the transparency there so that the client understands how the person they're working with is compensated. Okay, fiduciary, that's a big word. Mm-hmm. I, I was somebody I was recently talking to somebody and uh, – that had called and, and wanted to just understand a couple of things. And that you could tell, I mean, this was a pastor friend, a pastor and a friend of a friend. And uh, we were going through this process, and, and I mentioned the word fiduciary. And I could just immediately saw the, the glaze. And I, he just said, I don't know what that means. And it wasn't that he didn't have the vocabulary. He just said, why would I have used the word fiduciary? And I explained that to our audience because the fiduciary – Today, as you said, wasn't that big, say, 10, 15, 20 years. Today, it's top shelf. It is, and I think it's just – here's the – and I'm going to simplify it. It really means the decision is made in the client's best interest. At all times. At all times. At all times. That's a big thing. Yeah, and there's there's a a big difference between that and suitability. Suitability is it could be suitable for this client, but is it necessarily in their best interest? Makes a lot of sense. Rob – I know you also talk about these subjects, about being able to look for things you know, when you're selecting an advisor. What's one that you would recommend? Well, one of the things is that what is their philosophy on investments and, uh, and how and what experience have they had in the past? And so uh, we use a, a particular style that the, are the initials for the word MAPS, M-A-P-S. And, uh, and that's a, a very good way to be able to look into see and it's not a test, a true or false test that you can fail or pass. This is who you are. So it's a self-examination of who you are. And and it's, a, it's and maps is model asset portfolio score. score. Model. It's a model. Model. That's okay. right. And using that, it helps us understand. Uh, and I always use a person's hand. I say, put your hand out. And they put their left or their right hand out, and you see a thumb, and you see four other digits. And they all look differently. And so by that MAP score, that model score, we can determine if they're a thumb or they're a pinky. And in that, you begin to say, I have never thought about it that way. My, my thumb is the most ridiculous one on my hand. <laughs> if I've got a hammer I'm, I'm swinging to put that nail in the wall, the thumb or the index finger are going to get hit first yeah. and not the pinky. So you that's it. where it helps us determine that person's uh, risk and spouses usually are different in their risks. So uh, that makes good sense too. Yeah. So so you're looking at both if it's a couple, you've got to know both. What happens, David, if you've got a couple that don't agree? Well, usually it's an arm wrestling contest and the wife wins. <laughs> the wife wins. So no, that's a great point. And that's where if we kind of go back to the conversational part, we have to talk that through. You know, we we as the professional can't take sides, but we can help them understand maybe each other's opinion if, if they can't do that. I will say, even in my own life, that the longer they're married, the more they start to sound alike. Yes, dear. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> yeah. right. I have a real good, you know, whatever she said, yes, dear. Yes, dear. I've heard about it called the other day. She said, hey, I'm practicing my yes, dears. <laughs> you know, but that's exactly, I mean, I understand that. It is. And and we know that men and women make dis- decisions differently. I mean, you can go back to psychology. I'm not a psychologist, but just the way our brains work, the way the chemicals, you know, flow in our brains. Uh, men tend to be very much of the, uh, log- I don't hate to use the word Fix logical. It. Fix it. That's a great way to put it. Fix it. I'm going to fix this problem, okay? And I'm going to pick up the club. I'm going to climb out of the cave. I'm going to go kill it. And I'm going to drag it back. And the wife is more of the nurturer, thinking of maybe many times the near term. You know, we as men, we want to think about the kingdoms we're going to conquer 30 years from now. And the women are like, I just want to know we've got food on the table. And the nest. Needs are met. You got it. The nest. I like the fact that's a great analogy where you're thinking about it, conquer the world. And then the nest needs to be safe. And so, I, you know, I recently was having a conversation with someone, and I, and I reminded this particular individual that I'm, we're working for the two of you today. But ultimately, our client will probably be your spouse, your wife, because she's going to live longer. Mortality tells us that. And I think it was an eye-opener for him because everything was being discussed jointly now. But then he thought, Oh, that is correct. And I said, and we have to think about the fact that she is going to live to be 90. Then I asked the question, 
You know, it's a typical question. It's an easy question. How old is your parents? Mm. And uh, she said, my dad's 91. My mom is 89. So her genetic-wise, she's got, she, now right. she may not, you know, we don't know that. But the reality is, as a professional, you've got to get outside to nine dots because a lot of people don't think about the fact that one of them could live to be nine. You know, back to the, you know, choosing your professional, that professional, whether it's, it's a man or a woman that you're working with, should be directing the conversation at both the husband and wife it's, if it's a husband and wife that you're meeting with. So I know you want to make sure you get the input from both sides. And many times you'll have one person that's more of the spokesman, but that other person sit, you know, they're, they're thinking, they've got their own thoughts, that, and they're just waiting to be asked many times. And so I think it's important that both participants, or really all three, get their viewpoints out there on how they feel about a, a question or a scenario or a concern. Well, that's a great comment. And David and Jim, we know that as people age, things change. Physically, they change. And also from their standpoint of as an investor, they change. And where that one individual may have been at one point very risky, he or she now may be less risky as they go through the aging process. So uh, your point about that couple with their ages in their, in their 90s is a very good example of longevity pla- training, or excuse me, longevity planning because we have to plan for the future. And that is something that sometimes people don't really think about. Well, that that's leads me to our next subject, guys. If you just tuned in, my guests today, David Rochester and Rob Clement, we've been talking about where you might look at selecting an advisor, why you might need a professional. Well, the key was, we were talking about, it helps you have a conversation, sometimes a tough conversation, you know, I think, David, you used the word transparent, perfect word, about its conversation of 10, 20, 30 years from now. Having a guide to guide you through the emotional, we use terms, behavioral economics. Now, folks, that's just about managing your emotions. Rob and David both walked through that with us. Key was, they said some things to look for. What's the, how do you make money? Ask that question. Is it fee-based or commission only? What's your standard of work? What, how do you do? What kind of, are you a fiduciary or are you doing things from a suitability standpoint? What is your investment philosophy? Rob mentioned the model asset portfolio score. Asking questions, just getting into it. Well, guys, you mentioned it, Rob, so I'm going to lead right into it. You talked about this aging process. Now, I don't think anybody in this room today is suffering from anything called an aging process. I'm I'm doing great, but we, we you know, I can see, you know, that's that's uh, my wife. She's listening. She's rolling right now. Thank you. The reality is, we all are aging. Rob, I want to introduce this part because literally, this is critical. I, I think some people put that decision of that thought process off. We just deny it. I was doing that, just plain denying that we are in an aging process. My grandkids are aging, you know. I mean, they're getting older, not me. But I want to talk about elder abuse, Rob, Mm -hmm. because it is an epidemic in our society today. What is elder abuse? Jim, you just described it perfectly. Neglect is one of the aspects of it. You said, hey, I just don't believe it's happening to me. And it does. It happens to all of us. And the other type of abuse in elders is intentional. Somebody is intentional. It could be a family member. It could be a caregiver. It could be just a friend that has popped in to try to help people. And sometimes they end up not doing well for folks. And so elder abuse can run its gamut. On, uh, and we're going to focus on financial, but basically there are five different types of elder abuse, but we're going to look really today at how and what we look for financially on an individual, but intentional or neglect. Well, you know, in, when I want to d- dive into this financial thing, because just recently from the National Council on Aging, it says basically this is based at the end of last year, $36.5 billion, okay, Cost, that's the estimate of cost of elder financial abuse to older Americans, $36.5 billion annually. Guys, that's, that's, that brought me, that made me go, oh, my goodness, how in the world? And you're saying, Rob, that it's the number three 
issue when we talk about one, two, and three, number three in the country when it comes to abusing our elder population. $36.5 billion. Now, help me, what are some of the red flags that if our listening audience is thinking about it, what are we looking for that would say to us, hey, that's possibly a real problem? Start, give me a couple of those. Well, you look around, and all of a sudden you see stacks of things. Maybe it's bills, mail that's come in, not open. It's just sitting there. It's beginning to get piled up. And you see that that's a concern because that person is not being actively engaged in what they're needing to be engaged in. It might be that they have an appointment that they have coming up. So that's one of the first things. And you want to watch for that, the large stacks of, of other things like their apparel and clothes and just not being tidy and uh, maybe from a driving by or over into their home that they're in. Maybe it's for uncut grass or things that uh, where they in the past had a habit of being very meticulous. Now they're not that way anymore. So those are things that we really begin to look for. I, I think what I was going to ask you, David, I think one of the issues that that you dealt with with your mom and dad, you walked through that. This has been recently in the last five years with you. Talk about that because you had a lot of moving parts. Sure. So, you know, I recognize my, my parents had always been very studious in their management of money, management of checkbooks, um, things like that. And so we started to see a little change in, in that atmosphere uh, fortunately, both my sister and I live nearby to where my parents were. They're now deceased. And so we could keep pretty pretty close eye on things. Uh, we would, from time to time, pick up on individuals that were trying to sell them different uh, products, like uh, a treatment for their house that would completely stop uh, their use of electricity, so some type of insulation. Um, and so several things like that caught our attention things that they sold at a very low cost that they said they didn't need anymore, which seemed a little uh, exaggerated. So just picking up on where people who were not ordinarily in their lives all of a sudden started being in their lives. You know, you're talking about behavioral changes. Correct. I mean, things that you had expected as a young kid, seeing your mom and dad, even as an adult kid working with them, you saw changes in their lifestyle, changes in, as you said, people popping up that you didn't see before. That's a big deal. Yeah. Similar to David, we had uh, my mother-in-law living with us for a while. And she was, uh, David described, almost my mother-in-law, very detail-oriented, had always been in accounting and knew her finances well. And I was helping her from uh, watching her bank statement and what she was doing. And all of a sudden, certain monies would just not be there in her account. And when asking her, she says, well, it's, it's nobody's business but mine. And that's true. But the further we begin to pull out the council checks and things, the more we could see that she was giving money away to people that weren't necessarily people that should deserve that money. And now it's her right to make that decision. So you, you teeter-totter on a fine line there as you bring that up and you talk with folks that about how to handle. That can be a major problem because yeah. that philanthropic, that, hey, I want to I want to bless these people. And from a biblical standpoint, you're right. You want to be careful with that. Right. That is so, so easy to do and critical for the the child who's trying to watch and see what's going on to be careful with that. You know, one thing I would say, Jim, and I know in our business, uh, as we meet with people, one thing we're asked is, do you have a trusted person that you would want contacted in the event we need to reach you. I want to come back and talk about that trusted person because I think that's critical, and you can help me with that as we come back. Well, you just tuned in. I'm talking with David Rochester and Rob Clement. We're talking about elder financial abuse. Would you believe $36.5 billion annually? That's amazing. Guys, this is something we've got to begin to, I mean, I want you to pay attention. If you've got elder you know, family, you need, to, you need to talk to people or just drive by somebody you know. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to Talk Money on KWAM 990, the mighty 990. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. 
Jim Shoemaker and David Rochester are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Rob Clement is a registered representative. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Secure and Financial Services are affiliated with Seth Gasick or Voya Investments. The views and opinions expressed are those of Seth Gasick only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Secure and Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. We're talking with David Rochester and Rob Clement. We're talking about elder financial abuse. And let me give you a telephone number. Here locally in Memphis and Shelby County, you can call the Family Safety Center or you can go online to familysafetycenter.org. Their telephone number is 901-222-4400. Also, there's a lifeline number, Elder Lifeline. It's 901 901- Two seven four seven four seven seven. We'll post those on our Facebook page. Just go to them. It's Elder Lifeline nine zero one two seven four seven four seven seven. Rob, we're talking about a subject that I think is is tough on a lot of people. When I throw a number out of thirty six point five billion dollars annually, and that's from the National Council on Aging. That that this is the victim. This is the financial abuse we're talking about. And COVID seems to have created even if you got a pandemic on one side and then you got this economic crisis because people are being called about all kinds of things. Talk about that. Well, what we're seeing is more and more people are being reclusive because of COVID. And with that comes that loneliness and that need for contact with other people. And so that's one of the major areas there that we look at of the top 10 areas is are people changing in their personality and being more reclusive? I think that's a great point. I had somebody, a little tongue-in-cheek. I don't know if he really was doing it. He said he was ordering small items uh, and having the uh, the Amazon guy deliver them so he'd have a conversation. I don't know if that's true. You know, a daily conversation with somebody outside of his four walls. But I, I don't know if that, but you're right, that reclusive. And if it's we're not careful, just getting a phone call can be to some people uh, a step in the right direction. At least it's social. And we're just not going through that. Help us understand some of these preventive tips or things we should be looking for. Yeah, just just watch. Uh, earlier, you had mentioned in the program about check on a neighbor. Uh, now, we had a, a young couple that just moved next door to us, and for some reason, they really wanted to check on us, <laughs> and they kept they kept. Okay, texting. what does that say? Let me think about that. <laughs> <laughs> they kept texting, and I finally said, "Yeah, I need my yard cut." <laughs> so, but no, it is that type of thing. It's just being a good neighbor and and just watching what's going on in your neighborhood. And, uh, and making sure that it, you, you simply are staying in touch with people and to watch for people that are being exploited. If all of a sudden you see a particular vehicle coming into your neighborhood, driving into that person's driveway, start asking questions about it. So those are important starting steps on it. I know a lot of people get uh, scammed or really the problem when somebody's knocking on the door needing to say, we'll repair your whatever. I mean, it can be your driveway and, you know, that's a real problem. And to somebody living at home by themselves, they want their home to maintain and they may start that. So I know we tell people, be careful. Don't buy any from anyone trying to sell you something to knock on the door or anything like that. Be careful with that. Check it out. Ask a neighbor. Find out what's going on. But, David, I know there's also the problem with somebody trying to sell you on something online. Yeah, I think that's that's or on important. the phone. On the phone. So, you know, I know of scenarios where, um, you know, um, quite frankly, scam artists over the phone could be on the computer, but I know mainly on the phone where they would call somebody and say, uh, I am, you know, related to you. Um, I've got a need. I've got a major problem. I need you to, you know, overnight a check or send it Western Union or do a direct deposit. I had a case where a grandson, quote unquote, called this grandmother who lived alone. I mean, grandson's about 17, 18, 19, 20 years old and starts this whole conversation. And, and to her, she said, it sounded like him. I mean, and, and you know, and it was a scam unfortunately she did figure this out but um she was shocked that somebody i mean it was the i great grand and they knew what to call her mm. it was grams uh, Gram, uh, grammy grammy 
And they said, Grammy, I, I'm stuck. I was traveling. I had an accident. I've been in, I've been put in jail. I, you know, all kind of, and it sounded so real that she was close. And then she said, I just don't feel, and she made a couple of phone calls, fortunately, and that stopped the whole thing. But again, being careful. She was wise to make the phone call. Yeah, you well, yeah, she's a wise lady. I know for sure for that. What about receipts, guys? You know, Rob, I know. T- I'm, a, I'm a nerd when it comes to that. I always am shredding receipts of all kinds, whether it has credit card numbers on it or not. I, I just shred, shred, shred and make sure that they don't get to the trash can. Uh, even uh, uh, when you get a bill in and it's got your name and information on the bill, uh, again, I just try to send those to a shredder or make sure that they're not – any place on there where anybody could pick up any information about myself or my family also. So, you know, be cautious. Uh, You know, don't let mail accumulate in your mailbox. That's another uh, area that we want to be very cautious about is that let's get that mailbox, make sure you've got all the the things that are in your mailbox out of that mailbox. And and, uh, we we really, uh, I know David does the same thing, but we encourage people to check their credit reports and just make sure how and see if there's any suspicious. All right, I'm an elderly 85-year-old widow. I don't know how to do that. Can can they call the office and we'll guide them through that? Or I guess they call the hotline? Yeah, you do the, that a lot. I yeah, know, I, I do get that from time to time. And, and I typically uh, like to give them some directions on how to do that and, and what to do. So if they need something and they're concerned and they're listening to us today, feel free to call us at the uh, 901-757-5757 and ask for either David or myself, and we'll be glad to direct them Just walk them, them through it. You're not yep. getting their report. No. You're just giving them the way to do that. Here's the steps to do it. Let me give you the older lifeline again. It's 274-7477. If you know of a possible problem or you may be feeling that you are a possible problem, this is an elder hotline, or you guys can be called also. What about providing credit card or banking, David? Absolutely not. Uh, you never. Not, I would say never. Never. Uh, most companies today, if they've got your Social Security number or key number, they'll ask you to give them the last four or five digits, and that's enough for you know if they already have the information. But don't provide your banking information over the phone, your Social Security, your Medicare card information, or or your credit card information. Just don't. don't do it. <laughs> I mean, you're just, that's being blunt. But your point is, uh, just be careful. And again, build some people around you. I mean, oh, Rob, you get a lot of calls, a lot of questions about this. I think we've got, when you talk about $36.5 billion annually going out of elder checking accounts or whatever you want to call it, they're, they're social security accounts. fraud. So, social security fraud. And it's happening annually. We got to begin to understand it is a problem in with our elderly citizens. And as planners, as people that are involved, as churches, as that's just what we should be doing. He's guiding them through what to do. And I appreciate you guys bringing that up. Let me give you that hotline again. Elder hotline is two seven four seven four seven seven it's the elder lifeline two seven four seven four seven seven we'll post all this on our facebook page and we do have for you if you would like we have an elder financial abuse pdf it's a white paper that we'll provide for you simply at no charge i'll tell you more about how to get that it's types warning signs recognition prevention and reporting elder financial abuse well, guys, I tell you, thank you so much for being a part of this day. We're going to stay with you, stay with me, because we've got a guest. I mean, this guest, this is a subject that is so important. One in every 26 American families talk about the fact that they're raising children with a disability. Now, there's an article from the Journal of Practice of Estate Planning says 75% of special needs adults are without employment. Well, we are blessed today to have a special guest. He is a chartered special needs consultant, Seth Kasich. And Seth, welcome to the program, sir. Jim, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, I am excited about this part of the program because I have some very dear friends of mine that that have a special needs child, and I know they are decisions that they're having to make all the time. But I've got to start with what is a chartered Special Needs Consultant. 
Right. So that's the designation that I got um, as a result of my education through the American College. Um, and it's actually the only designation out there that deals with this subject matter that I've seen thus far. It could be disproven here in the near future. All right. Now, that's this. I like what you said. How can be disproven in the very near future? But I now I think that's important. You're with Voya Investments, and and you decided to get this special needs consultant. Why? What was what? Why was that? This what did what led you to do this? Yeah. So it it came down to a few different reasons for me. Uh, first and foremost, me being with Voya, we do have this initiative called Voya Cares. That is a firm-wide initiative to kind of shed light on this subject matter and kind of all of the tools, um, solutions that are available for those with special needs. Um, So that's one big reason. The other few reasons are that I've personally been affected by this. Um, It runs in my family, uh, grandparents. um, One of them passed away as a result of Alzheimer's. And then additionally, just realizing um, kind of with a basis on the, the Voya Cares initiative that there's such a lack of expertise and awareness in this area. Um, if you look at the CDC, Center for Disease Control, uh, in Tennessee, there's actually 31% of Tennesseans that report having a disability. So if you really start to dig into some of those statistics, it's really eye-opening. Um, and I think that, you know, it should prompt more to action it's initially what prompted me to action there. My guest is Seth Kasich. He is a chartered special needs consultant with Voya Investments. We're talking about some of the needs. 31%, he says, Tennessee to Tennesseans are suffering from some form of a disability. You know, now, Voya Cares, I like that initiative. I think that's powerful for what it says. I think it's powerful for what it does. But if you talk about this, the prevalence of disability nationwide, the lack of experience, what are some of the other reasons that, that the initiative, Voya Cares, and the initiative for Seth Gasick? Tell me, what are you seeing some other reasons to do this? Absolutely. So like I said, it's 31% of Tennesseans report having a disability. That number nationwide is 25%. So still an astounding number. Um, and when it comes to a lack of expertise within our uh, field, um, you can actually look at an investment news article that I refer to all the time, dated, I think, 2017, that reveals that it's roughly 1,000 financial advisors in the entire country that have kind of the expertise to handle the full spectrum uh, if you will, of special needs and disabilities and the financial implications therein. Now, Seth, you mentioned that. I think the financial implications and this this whole spectrum of need. Let me talk about some of this. I guess I, there's there's got to be, would you narrow this down to, say, four or five main areas that you're talking about? I mean, it, there's so much. There's a lot of moving parts. And I know it can be overwhelming you know you think about okay I've my my child or my mom or somebody or is all of a sudden now a special needs person I've got to take care of them it can be overwhelming just that side of being a caregiver then you add the side of being responsible financially help me understand what are the some of the main areas that you're looking at Absolutely. So when it comes to planning for a loved one with special needs or offering them solutions, um, we realize, firstly, that the impact uh, on kind of the balance sheet of any family is huge. Uh, essentially, most of the time you're, you're planning for an additional lifetime with little to no income. And in terms of uh, the four categories that you mentioned are the four main areas of focus for these solutions or strategies. We boil it down to family assets first, which would kind of be balancing the needs of all the different ma- uh, family members and then tied in with uh, estate planning. Um, the second main area would be employer benefits, so things like health, insurance, uh, welfare, retirement plans, that sort of thing. Uh, next category would be government benefits um, and particularly emphasizing means-tested there versus entitlement benefits, which would be more of your SSDI 
uh, type benefits. And then lastly, we've got legal needs. So think here, wills, medical directives, special needs trusts, and then titling and ownership and basically the like. But that is, um, you, you make that sound so easy. <laughs> you, <laughs> you listed that as if, okay, you just got a little you know, box and you go through that process, but it can be extremely complicated. I, I feel like that I need some guidance here. When, you, when you're working with someone, and I assume you not only work with financial advisors, but also with personal clients, give us some insight how that how you handle that, how you actually, because this, again, I still feel like it's so overwhelming. It can be almost depressing to think I've got to do all this. So get, you, give me some insight. I think that's what I'm looking for. How do you manage a person's thought process when you're asking for all these thoughts, questions? Absolutely. So I think it's important to be organized. Uh, from the top, and I think that that is kind of the guiding light at the end of the day. So um, obviously there are some emotions involved, um, but when it comes to starting with with kind of a plan, we have a lot of resources that I use um, directly as an offshoot of our Boy Cares initiative um, that I'd be happy to involve with with any of the listeners here or yourself. but usually what I'll start with is just a checklist. Um, try to keep it as simple as possible. Most of the different categories that I just mentioned are mentioned in that, that planning checklist. Um, and a few of the different tools that we deem most important are also mentioned therein. So um, when, it, when it comes down to it, 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 it's really about being organized, and we do that through the different resources that we have available through the Boy Cares Initiative. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Rob, I know you've got a question for for Seth, and I want to make sure that you guys know that what we're dealing with here is this, this initiative, Boy You Cares, the, the fact that Seth is a chartered special needs consultant. And, and Seth, I appreciate what you're going through and giving us this, this whole idea behind people having the lack of expertise and the problems and, you know, getting a strategy that's got to take a, I know in one, in my situation with my client that has a special needs child, you know, we're having to think through this process, not as a 25 year old, you know, today, but as a 55 year old. And what is that 55 year old going to need? Because they're living, that special needs child is living longer than what was the case. So all of those things play into it. So what are some, I guess, the action steps that that you, Seth, would say are critical? Or let me ask you, Rob, you've got a question first. Let's do that, and then I'll come back to my action steps. Hey, Seth, I really appreciate what you've shared so far. And, and one of the areas that, uh, that I think this really coordinates with is uh, I happen to have a uh, – our daughter, my wife and I, that is a, a special needs teacher. And there is a, a piece that educators use that really complements what you're talking about. It's called an individual education plan or an IEP. And I know in our business, as we work with professionals like your, you and uh, uh, David, Jim, and I get to work with uh, our clients and we put together plans for them, uh, that IEP uh, individual education plan and using what you're saying, the checklist and being organized and resources, it sounds like you've got just those type of resources to help and complement uh, folks that are dealing with those children that have special needs and thinking about uh, as they look to their future. Yeah, that that's absolutely correct. And matter of fact, the uh, curriculum for chartered special needs consultant uh, starts with kind of a foundation in the educational space. So I'm very familiar with the IEP, great planning tool um, just in terms of education. But, um, yeah, I think what, what we tend to focus on here, what I tend to focus on, um, are more complementary to those IEPs that you're getting more um, foundational guidance from, hopefully, from your local educator. Let me ask this, Seth, because I think you're, you're talking about this is a big, big subject, but uh, there's, there's tools that, you know, you were talking about that. You're, give me some examples of that. I mean, I think the, the letter of intent is something you've talked about before. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so if you've ever seen the movie Rain Man, 
with Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman, I like to bring this up as my kind of illustrative example of a letter of intent. Um, I've heard it said before that this movie would have been the most boring movie ever if they had a letter of intent in place. And what I mean by that is, if you're familiar with the plot, Dustin Hoffman was the older brother of Tom Cruise. His name was Raymond. And he had, he was a savant, actually. So he was uh, on the spectrum. And he ended up uh, being in the care of his, his brother, Tom Cruise. And ultimately, Tom really had no idea how to care for him. He kind of, you know, was strong-willed and did his own thing. But if Tom had had a letter of intent and he followed it to a T, uh, like I said, most boring movie ever. Um, so really what a letter of intent is, is it's painting your vision of your loved one's future for successor caregivers. You might think of it as a compliment to something like a will. Okay, now that letter of intent is written by the caregiver for what you're trying to accomplish. Is that what you're saying? Is that the, the help me with it? Who writes the letter of intent? Yeah, I wouldn't limit it to just the caregiver. Certainly, their input will be uh, significantly valuable. But um, like with an IEP, you have many people involved in the creation of a letter of intent. Hopefully. Um, so any input is valuable uh, in, in its creation. I would say at least start with caregiver and loved ones and go from there. Well, that's a, that's a great meeting. I mean, I can see that can be one of those meetings, a very powerful, emotional meeting where everybody's going through that process. I know there's a thing called the ABLE account, and I, can you briefly, in the remaining few minutes that we have, what is the ABLE account? Why are they important? And I guess the biggest deal, how do you maximize the usage of it? Absolutely. So I love ABLE accounts. They're also known as 529A accounts. Um, ABLE is actually an acronym for Achieving a Better Life Experience. These are relatively new tools. Um, I think they've been around since 2013 or 2014. But um, essentially, you want to think of them as kind of maybe a mini special needs trust or a complement to a special needs trust. Um, they're basically, at the end of the day, a 529 plan, but for special needs and disability expenses. Now, there are a few caveats there. Um, you don't have the same contribution limitation that you would with 529. So you can only contribute $15,000, which is the gift tax limitation, per donee not per donor, like it would be with a 529, and that's per year. And then additionally, to be able to open one, you have to be affected by a special need or disability before the age of 26. Now, if you meet the requirements, and there may be a few other intricacies that we could talk about uh, some other time, if you meet the requirements, I think this is a no-brainer in terms of a planning tool. And most of them are set up much like a 529 plan where they're run by the state in conjunction with some other firm uh, for the state of Tennessee. You can simply Google it and you'll find it and you could actually put in an application for one today online. Seth, I think that has been, that is such good information. I thank you for the day. I thank you for your time. If you'd like to talk to Seth, you can call us at the office and we can get you in contact with Seth. Our telephone number going again is 757-5757. Seth Gasick, he is a chartered special needs consultant with Voya Investments. Thank you, Seth. I appreciate your time today, man. Thank you so much, Jim. All right. If you've just tuned in, we you can listen to this program again on a podcast, and all you know it's very simple to do. All you have to do is simply go to kwam.com and you can you know click on the podcast. We'd love for you to do that, or go to Facebook, do the same thing. I appreciate you being a part of today's program. You know you've been listening to KWAM the Mighty 990 FM 107.9 and AM 990. My guest, you've heard him, Zeth Kasich, Charter Special Needs Consultant with Voya Investments, David Rochester and Rob Clement with Shoemaker Financial. You can reach all three of these guys. You simply call them at 901-757-5757. 
Now, we had some PDFs that I talked about. Preparing a more secure future for your child with special needs. want to make sure you know that that's in there. Elder financial abuse. These are all about warning signs, recognition, prevention, reporting. You want to get that PDF. And selecting an advisor. Tips to know what the questions to know what to ask or tips to know what to ask. Go online. Simply go to Shoemaker Financial page. Search for the document on our post. You can either read it or if you'd like to print it, just download it to the PDF and print it. My guest next week, Kurt Zarnowski, a favorite of everybody's, talking about Social Security and COVID-19. You don't want to miss that. Effie Johnson, she is the CEO and president of Neighborhood Christian Center. And Scott Jordan will be here. We're going to be talking about some things that you do not do when it comes to making an investment in the market. Folks, that is critical. Things to not do. That's Scott Jordan. That's Saturday at 10 a.m. right here on KWAM, the mighty 990 at FM 107.9 and AM 990. Guys, thanks for being here with me today. Thanks, Jim, for having me. It's always good to have these guys here. They do a great job. We're here every week helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker and David Rochester are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Rob Clement is a registered representative. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. The S&P is an unmanaged index of 500 large-cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index. Discussions in this presentation should not be construed as specific recommendations or legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with your own legal tax or investment professional before making important investment decisions. The ABLE Act is a tax advantage savings account designed for individuals to help pay for qualified disability expenses. Participation in an ABLE account does not guarantee that the contributions and investment returns will be adequate to cover all expenses related to the designated beneficiary as a result of living with disabilities. Contributors to the plan assume all investment risk, including the potential for loss of principal and any penalties for non-qualified disability withdrawals. Each state's ABLE program will have different investment choices, costs, and fee structures. You should consult with your financial, tax, or other advisor to learn more about how state-based benefits, including any limitations, would apply to your specific circumstances. You may also wish to contact the state-specific plan program administrator to learn more about the benefits that might be available to you by investing in an ABLE account. Not all states have an ABLE program.